Hypnosis is highly effective and it has no side effects. That's something you can use in a way to make your life better. You're listening to the High Performance Health Podcast, helping you optimize your health, performance, and longevity. My name is Angela Foster, and I'm a former corporate lawyer and high performance health coach. Each week, I bring you cutting edge biohacks, inspiring insights, and high performance habits to unlock optimal health, performance, and longevity. So excited that you've chosen to join me today. Now let's dive in. Hi friends, in today's episode, we're diving into the world of hypnosis for self-discovery, empowerment, and a powerful ally in sculpting the creation of your future self. I'm joined by Dr. David Spiegel, the Wilson Professor and Associate Chair of Psychiatry and Behavioral Sciences at Stanford University School of Medicine. Dr. Spiegel holds the role of Director for both the Centre on Stress and Health and the Centre for Integrative Medicine. He has a remarkable body of work, including books and scientific journal articles spanning hypnosis, psychosocial oncology, stress physiology, trauma, and psychotherapy for stress, anxiety, and depression. This episode is about overcoming barriers and rewriting the script of your life. We talk about how to use hypnosis to reprogram limiting beliefs that may have been holding you back, setting the stage for personal goals that align with your future self. And for any skeptics out there, prepare to have your minds blown. Dr. Spiegel and I explore the profound effects of hypnosis on mental health, pain relief, and even how it can enhance your relaxation and focus using nothing but the natural power of your mind. So whether you're aiming to elevate your performance, reshape your identity, or simply find a new level of peace and productivity, this episode is for you. Without further delay, let's dive into the incredible world of hypnosis. So Dr. David Spiegel, it is so awesome to have you here today. I've been really, really looking forward to getting together. Um, hypnosis is something we were talking offline that I've tried, but I don't know a great deal about, but I do understand that there is tremendous power in it. So firstly, a very warm welcome to the show. Thank you, Angela. I'm delighted to be here and I'm glad you've already given it a try. That's great. Yeah, yeah. So I think probably a good place to start for people listening, because some people may not be really familiar with hypnosis um, and may have seen things on TV that where they don't really actually have a good understanding of it. Right. Could you first explain what hypnosis is? Sure, Angela. It, it, uh, hypnosis is just a state of highly focused attention. Have you ever had the experience of getting so caught up in a good movie that you forget you're watching the movie, you enter mm. the imagined world? Hypnosis has been called believed in imagination. It's a natural, naturally occurring way in which our brains often work. And when you get really absorbed in something, like a movie or a novel or your work, you miss an appointment with somebody because you're so caught up in it. That's highly focused attention. Like looking through the telephoto lens of a camera. What you see, you see with great detail, but you're less aware of the context. That's the second part of hypnosis, dissociation. You put outside of conscious awareness things that would ordinarily be in consciousness in order to facilitate focus. Now, right now, for example, we haven't been talking that long. You have sensations in your body touching the chair you're sitting in. But I'm hoping you were not aware of that until I brought it to your attention. Is that fair enough? Yeah. Good. I'm glad. So we can continue the, the interview then. Um, hypnosis uh, involves a naturally occurring state of dissociating, putting outside of conscious awareness things that would ordinarily be in consciousness. We do it all the time to facilitate concentration. Um, and we do it in more extreme forms in difficult situations where you focus on one thing at a time and put outside of awareness others. The third part of it, and it's the part that scares most people the most, but is wrong, is, you know, the old fear of suggestibility. But what it really is, 
is cognitive flexibility. So in hypnosis, you're able to try out being different, like trying on a, a new uh, set of clothing and see what it feels like. You can put aside your usual assumptions about how you do things, what you're supposed to do, what people think about you, and just see what it's like to be different, to have less pain, to be able to focus attention more, to be able to get to sleep easily, to control your eating, to stop smoking. Those are all sort of other use that you can summon up in a state of hypnosis. Intense focus, dissociation, and cognitive flexibility. So, you know, people are, you know, a lot of people have seen these cheesy stage shows, you know, where somebody makes the football coach dance like a ballerina or something. Um, we're all, we're social creatures. We're all susceptible of social influence. That's not what's crucial about hypnosis. What's cool about hypnosis is you can try out being different and see what it feels like. I love this because uh, my own program, Biosyncing, has kind of three, it has three pillars to it. One is syncing with your bioindividuality. The second is with your female physiology. And the third is with your most empowered future self. And I love this because I talk a lot about that and kind of future self psychology. And I love this idea that hypnosis could actually help people, as you say, to try on that self, right? Ahead of time. Exactly. Exactly. See it's what very it feels powerful. Like see what happens it is indeed yeah, yes very powerful so um i want to dive into that a little bit more um later when i when i had hypnosis um i was under hypnosis for around two hours and yeah. i felt a very profound sense of relaxation sort of by the end of that i felt a real sense of oneness where i had totally lost i mean you were talking there i'm actually standing but you, you I, I didn't feel the floor until you mentioned right are you aware of it and uh, mm -hmm. it's interesting because when i was under deep hypnosis I got to that point where I was no longer aware of kind of my body or my physical being. And I just felt this sense of presence, right? And oneness would be how I would describe right. it. Right. Um, which was very powerful, very powerful yes. um, in terms of kind of and, and going back into sort of some of my own uh, past experiences and things. But I feel the real power is, is what you mentioned there actually is in creating our future self, because it almost doesn't matter, right, what's happened before. I think who we're becoming all the time is is far more important. How could we, um, let's talk about how we can, I, I know you have an app that helps you hypnotize yourself. I do. Yeah. I do. And, and hypnosis, you know, is a state where you can be intense, but not tense. You can be, just as you describe it, physically comfortable, but focus on things that are important, try out new ideas. Our app is called Reverie, R-E-V-E-R-I, and it's a digital interactive hypnosis app. So you get to hear my mellifluous voice anytime you want, and it's interactive. So I'll ask you a question, is your hand floating in the air? If you say yes, we go on to something else. If you say no, we help you more with the hand. So we tried to make it as much like the experience of being with me in my office yeah. as we could. Uh, you know, I used, to, I used to worry about whether we were close enough to the real thing. And then I realized um, that actually in some ways it's better because if you wake up at three in the morning and want help with hypnosis to go back to sleep, you probably don't want me in your bedroom telling you how to do it, but you've got me with the app. I'm there. And so uh, it's, it's a, a interactive uh, program available to anybody uh, to help them learn to use hypnosis, to focus intently, um, to try out being different, uh, to control pain, 
uh, to manage stress better. And, and one of the ways in which we help people manage stress on the app is we don't start from the head down, we start from the body up. So the idea is to get your body comfortable first. When we're stressed, you know, you, you, you think about something that worries you, your muscles start to tense up, you start to sweat, uh, you breathe more rapidly and shallowly. And then you start to notice that and you think, oh my God, this must be really bad. So you get more anxious and then your body reacts to that. It's like a snowball rolling downhill. Instead with hypnosis, you can get that same sense of comfort you had when you did hypnosis. Um, get your body floating as if you were in a bath, a lake, a hot tub, or floating in space. And so you're already controlling one aspect of a stressor that you can control, which is how your body reacts to it. So you get your body comfortable, and then you can begin to think about the stressor and picture what you could do to help yourself with it. So hypnosis is a kind of bottom-up way of getting control of your body, helping it feel better, and then dealing with the problem you have to deal with. Interesting. And do you, when you're um, using hypnosis, um, the way that I was taught was to look up, and when you see that kind of rapid eye movement, that's what helps you slip into <laughs> right. hypnosis? Yeah. What's, that's, what's uh, going on there? <laughs> um, that's what we call the eye roll test. The idea is if you can keep looking up while you close your eyes, and you're very good at it, by the way, your score is four. You're, you should be very That's what they said to me, but I want to ask you about yeah. that in a minute because I know it's in your app about how to be good at it. But yeah, carry on. Well, here's the idea. You know, most of the times when we change states of consciousness, we do something with our eyes. You know, when you go to sleep, you close your eyes. When you dream, you have rapid eye movements uh, during the dreaming period. Um, most drugs that affect level of arousal have some effect on the eyes. And the thing about looking up is that you're still alert and awake. You're not going to sleep, but you're, the message is you're turning inward. You're focusing on what's going on inside your brain and inside your body. So you keep looking up while you close your eyes, then you let your eyes relax and let your body float. And so it's a very quick way of shifting gears. You know, we are, uh, our, our capacity to protect ourselves physically has a lot to do with our vision. Our vision is pretty good. The whole back of our brain is devoted to processing it. But our smell and our hearing are not so great. Other animals do that a whole lot better than we do. So when you close your eyelids, you're saying, okay, I'm going to assume that the world around me is safe and I'm going to focus inward. There's an old Zen technique called looking at the third eye, where you look up to the top of the middle of your head. So this is just a simple, quick way. You don't need to count upstairs and downstairs. You don't need to take 20 minutes or 30 minutes to go into a hypnotic state. People who have the ability, like you, can do it in a matter of seconds, not minutes. Mm, it's very relaxing. I saw in the app that you um, you talk about that, like how hypnotizable is someone? And obviously, I, right. I had the same response when I was with the hypnotist. She was like, "You're, you're going to be very good at this," but, but but I had no experience. Like, how is that, and what determines whether someone can do that? Hypnotizability in adult life is as stable a, a trait as IQ. The test-retest reliability over a 25-year interval in a study done at Stanford was 0.7. That's higher than IQ, which is about 0.6. So it's a very stable trait. And about 20% um, of the adult population is extremely hypnotizable, probably like you. About 60% are somewhat hypnotizable, and about 20% are just not at all hypnotizable. Uh, so... And it's a trait that has biological basis and an experiential basis. 
biologically, we know that people who have a particular variant of a of an enzyme that metabolizes dopamine called catecholomethyltransferase um, have about the right levels of dopamine in their brain, particularly the front part of the brain. And those people who are have what we call heterozygous for methionine and valine, have one each of those amino acids, have a dopamine metabolism system that works at about the right speed. If they're homozygous for methionine or valine, they either metabolize it too quickly or too slowly. And we actually have developed a point of care test, a genetic test, so that we can tell whether people are genetically likely to be more highly hypnotizable. The experiential part of it is different. There are two kinds of early life experience that tend to predispose people uh, to being highly hypnotizable. One is good. It's called imaginative involvement. It's parents who read you a story when you go to sleep at night, who help you to use your imagination fully, tend to be more hypnotizable. They enjoy it. They get it. It's been called believed in imagination. Just immerse yourself in imagination. The other is not so good, and that is the children who have been mistreated uh, or abused. Uh, tend to be more hypnotizable because they need it as a way of escape. Uh, just go somewhere else. Don't think about what's happening to your body right now. So uh, in any event, most children, most eight-year-olds are in trances most of the time. You know, you call them in for dinner, they don't hear you. They're out playing with their friends. Mm. Uh, but some of us lose that some of that ability in adolescence when we we learn to to do what the psychologist Piaget called formal operations, where you begin to privilege reason over experience. The logic of things is a tall thin tube have more volume than a short fat tube, and you can think about the mathematical logic of it. So. As we go through adolescence, some of us lose that ability, some of us retain it, and that becomes a pretty stable trait. Now, most people can benefit. We have this test on reverie, actually. So it's a, a six-minute test where you are given a series of hypnotic instructions. We evaluate your response and tell you whether you're highly hypnotizable. We call those folks poets. You know, They just lead with their hearts, and they immerse themselves in experience. The, the, the mid-range people are diplomats. They'll have a trip, they'll have an experience, and then they'll analyze it and think about it. And then the researchers are the 20% who just aren't hypnotizable. They think before they feel. However, everybody can benefit from the way we approach problems on reverie because we focus on what you're for, not what you're against. Perimenopause can be a time of significant disruption, not just to our hormones, but also to our sleep, anxiety, energy levels, and gut health. Add in a busy work schedule, workouts, and three kids, and I know that I need more nutrient support than I used to. While I do my best to get enough vitamins and minerals through whole food sources every day, there are times I can't quite get enough servings, and that's why I take AG1 every day. It covers my bases with high-quality ingredients like pre- and probiotics to support gut health, adaptogens to help buffer stress, antioxidants and whole food source nutrients to deliver that welcome boost in energy. One daily scoop of AG1 covers my nutrient gaps and supports my mental and physical health without a lot of hassle. I simply add one scoop to my water in the morning with the confidence to know I'm giving my body what it needs. Taking AG1 helps me to feel more energized, sleep better and gives me glowing skin. If there's one product I had to recommend to elevate your health, it's AG1. And that's why I've partnered with them for so long. So if you want to take ownership of your health, start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3 and K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com forward slash Angela Foster. That's drinkag1.com 
forward slash Angela Foster. Would you like to uncover the secrets of your metabolism and hit your weight goals in a really easy, scientifically driven manner? For over a year now, I've been using a smart little device called Lumen. And through a simple breath test, Lumen helps me optimize my fasting period. It tells me the best time to eat carbs, how to fuel my workouts, tracks how stress and sleep affect my metabolism, and gives me daily personalized meal plans. Lumen is the first device to hack your metabolism and reveal your lifestyle and diet's true impact on your health and ability to lose weight and it can help you to enhance fat burn lose weight and boost your energy naturally and lumen is giving listeners of this podcast 90 dollars off all you need to do is head over to angelafoster.me forward slash lumen and enter code angela90 at checkout to save 90 dollars you can finally take charge of your metabolism in 2024 with this exclusive discount. Simply head over to angelafoster.me forward slash lumen. That's A-N-G-E-L-A-F-O-S-T-E-R dot M-E forward slash L-U-M-E-N and enter code Angela90 at checkout. Now let's get back to the show. People who use hypnosis have a common saying. The worst thing you can tell somebody is don't think about purple elephants, you know, Mm. that's what you're going to think about. So instead, we find ways to help people restructure their experience in a way that is a positive, affirmative experience rather than telling yourself don't do something. And for a lot of people, it really helps in a hurry. It's super interesting. I mean, if if somebody is highly hypnotizable, does that mean that they need to be a little bit more careful? Like, would I need to be more careful watching a movie or suggestions, advertising that might come in because I'm engrossed, for example? That's a very astute point, uh, Angela, and the answer is yes. Uh, um, uh, There was a, a playwright in New York who was very successful playwright, who was very hypnotizable, was having some personal problems. And uh, um, he kept giving away large amounts of money. People would stop him on the street or somebody would go to the theater and convince him that this charity was wonderful. And his accountant said to him, look, you're doing very well, but you're not doing that well. And you're going to be broke if you don't stop doing this. So what they arranged was that he had a special kind of checking account that had to be countersigned. Any check over $100 had to be countersigned by his accountant. And that was the way he protected it. He said, here, good luck. I want to wish you a lot of luck, you know, if you can get the money. So, yes, there are some people. One of my patients said, I'm a disciple in search of a teacher. So highly hypnotizable people can learn something by recognizing how easily it is for them to see the other person's point of view. Now, you know, being susceptible to social influence is a widespread problem. And if you look at the voting patterns in the United States, you would understand that. But Uh, hypnosis is a special kind of state where people who are very hypnotizable very quickly sort of suspend their own personal evaluation and see it from the other point person's point of view and that can be beneficial but it can also be a problem Mm. yeah that's definitely something i do like i will frequently (laughs) step into (laughs) the other person's (laughs) shoes and and try to understand it from them pretty much all the time yeah, that's and and see, yeah, you, and, and also sort of take personal responsibility and think, okay, if that's their reaction, what part have I played in this, and how might they be feeling, and how that, might I have, yeah, informed that makes that. you a lovely person, but it can cause problems. Sometimes. Yeah, right. it, makes, it makes you more sensitive, I guess, doesn't it? You take on more. Um, yes. 
So with that, I mean, for, for someone listening to this and they're thinking, okay, this sounds great, right? I can try on this version of me that I'm trying to uh, create, if you like. And it might be that they're trying to re- attract uh, a relationship partner. It could be that they're trying to attract more wealth, that they're trying to lead better in the company. It could be any number of things they're trying yeah. to do. Um, how can they use that? I mean, is this an effective process then to reprogram any limiting beliefs that they may have that are holding them back? Well, you know, uh, yes, it, it certainly can be. So I'll give you a, a good example and a bad example, Angela. Uh, the good example is how we get people to stop smoking. We don't say don't smoke because that's like saying don't think about Bergolifus. You know, don't have an urge mm. to smoke. You will. You know, the issue is not the urge. So we ask people to consider being mothers to their own bodies. For my body, smoking's a poison. I need my body to live. I owe my body respect and protection. If you focus on what you're for, and you can feel good about doing it the moment you start doing that. So you're you're putting yourself in the shoes that you wear when you're raising a baby. You would never put tar and nicotine into the lungs of your baby. Why on earth would you do it to your own body, which is as dependent on you as your baby? So you can emerge from this affiliating with a new model and with a model that you've used in other circumstances to try and take better care of your body. And for a lot of people, that works. Now, what's the bad model, the bad problem, bad example? Um, That would be people who are too willing to forgive trespasses of people they're becoming involved with, for example. To, you know, your friends look at him and say, you know what he did and what he said and all this stuff. And you just kind of see it from his point of view. And sometimes that's a good thing. We all need to do that in relationships. But there was a woman who who said, uh, my boyfriend and I have the classic love-hate relationship. We both love him and we both hate me. And so there are people, (laughs) (laughs) there are people... (laughs) who are just too forgiving, frankly. There are some who are not forgiving enough, but there are some who are too forgiving. And being highly hypnotizable makes it easy for you to see things from the other person's point of view, sometimes a little too easy. Interesting. That's probably why I look for the good in everyone, right? Yeah, interesting. Yeah, Yeah, really interesting. Um, And what about then, so does hypnosis play a part in anything? Like when we look at... You know, he's a very successful people, like, for example, Jim Carrey has spoken about when he wanted to make that change, right? So he was trying on that that future version of him as a highly paid actor. And he wrote himself a check and he used to look at that every day and look down at the Hollywood Hills. And, you know, eventually then he was um, offered that role. Can people use that in this way? You know, I've heard about like if you write out, for example, I I write out my goal in the morning, right? If you write it out enough times, uh, you're more likely then to get your actions and behavior even on a subconscious level to leave you there, is lead you there. Is this uh, part of like hypnotism or how is that sort of interrelated? I think it is. We we have people, we have a find your focus exercise. And it's it's a very similar thing where you go into a state of self-hypnosis, get your body floating as if you're in a bath, a lake, a hot tub, or floating space. And in this case, plan out the crucial steps you want to take. Some people visualize it as literally a path. You know, I go here and this happens, I go there and that happens. But you'll find, interestingly enough, that if you formulate what you want to do, just take a couple of minutes to focus on it, plan it, you'll find yourself more easily doing it because you're not having to stop and make choices at every turning of the road. You're able to, you've, you've planned out the pattern that you want to plan. And the second thing in finding your focus that is helpful is 
to take stock after you've done it. You know, very often the, the really precious time when you've just read a chapter in a book or you've just talked to somebody is if you take a minute or two and focus on, well, what did I really get from this? You know, what did he or she tell me? Uh, what do I want to take with me and remember? Just a minute or two. And you consolidate the, the, the gems of the experience so that you have them more accessible. So that, that ability to plan in advance, to focus, write it down or go, go through it in your head in self-hypnosis, and, and then to summarize after can be a very good way of making yourself more directed and productive. So this would apply to things like, as you're saying, like if you were reading something or learning something, right? Taking time right. to really That's sort exactly of focus right. on how you would apply that. Exactly. That's exactly right. What have I learned? It's really good if you've listened to a lecture, you know, just, well, what are like the key points that I got from this? It just takes a minute or two, but it's a way of when your brain is fully immersed in the experience of extracting what really matters to you and retaining it. Hmm. Interesting. And could you use this then? I'm kind of thinking from a performance perspective. Um, can you use this to help you access a flow state? Because that sort of disassociation and involvement in what you're doing is very similar to being in a flow state. Are there kind of um, activities that people could do? You know, we know McKinsey's research shows we're five times as productive when we're in flow. Is there kind of a routine that you would point towards? that if you're doing some creative work, for example, that you could do before to help you access that flow state. That's exactly right. You're, it, I mean, flow, I, I, I knew Chick sent me high, uh, who wrote the book flow and, and, you know, he called it an autotelic experience, you know, one in which just doing it is its own reward. And that when you're engaging yourself in the process more than the outcome, you're going to enjoy it more and you'll do it better. Um, mm. Uh, there's a Zen book called Zen and the Art of Archery. And the idea there is that we focus too much on the, on the target and not enough on your relationship with the bow and arrow. And that's what really matters. So if you can engage yourself and your body in a way that allows you to enjoy it as you're doing it, you'll naturally be more absorbed. You'll feel better while you're doing it and you'll do it better. And would there be like a kind of pre-performance routine that you could do? Um, yes. to set yourself up. That's exactly right. So in, in the F Find Your Focus app, we have you get your body comfortable first, focused, floating as if you're in a bath, a lake, a hot tub, or floating in space. And then use an imaginary screen, for example, to picture the path you want to take, what you want to do, what you want to accomplish, um, how you're planning to do it, you know, what are the steps along the way. And just breaking it down into a series of steps, each one of which is manageable, seems a lot more doable than saying, oh, my God, I have to have a 30-page essay done by tomorrow morning or something. So if you see the steps, you feel it, it's more fun, it's more doable, and you're likely to be more productive. Mm. Yeah, I love that, breaking down the steps. So important. Um and what about, um, I was just, just listening to you, it was, it was how I was recalling uh, uh, an experience I had. People was, I've been asked a few times, do I like float tanks? And the reason I'm, I'm not a huge fan of a float tank is my experience when I went, and I don't know if there's just not enough salt in it, but I found it a bit like you were saying with the hypnosis, I found it very easy to relax. So I was in the float tank and I was so relaxed that I fell asleep in it. 
and then found myself. <laughs> I, I found myself actually almost drowning. Yeah, and and <laughs> drinking the water, which woke me up. So I don't, I don't know whether this ability to sort of drop into these states is a bit of a disadvantage, maybe. Yeah, that, well, just just you know, when there's a water shortage around the world, you know, <laughs> you don't you don't need the float tank. You know, you can get that sense of floating. And that's one of the, you know, our brain is such a powerful organ, you know, three pounds sitting on the top of our body. It's connected to every part of your body. And there's a tremendous amount we can do with it. So you can generate much of the relaxation you would get in a float tank without undertaking the risk of drowning at the same time. And, and the same is true with things like pain, for example. You know, 88,000 Americans died of opioid overdoses last year. Hypnosis is highly effective, and it has no side effects. We, ha we have not yet succeeded in killing anybody with hypnosis. And yet, you can use it to substantially reduce pain. I had a young woman who came to me. She was seven months pregnant. She had terrible lower back disease. Um, they'd implanted a stimulator, nerve stimulator. It didn't work. They couldn't give her meds because she was pregnant. And the bigger the baby got, the more back pain she had, as you can imagine. So mm. she was terribly frustrated. Her pain was 7 out of 10 when we started. And after a few minutes of having her imagine being in a warm bath, floating, feeling that sense of warmth, which actually gave her comfort, her brain starts setting up the same associational pathways that she had when she was actually in a warm bath. And the pain was 3 out of 10 after just a few minutes of doing the hypnosis. And she looked angry when she told me that. And I said, you're feeling better. What are you angry about? She said, why in the hell are you the last doctor I got sent to instead of the first? And so we don't take advantage of what our brain can really do. And you can literally, you can have the same physical problem, but you can substantially reduce the pain because the strain and pain lies mainly in the brain. And so one of our other apps in Reverie is teaching people how to use self-hypnosis to control pain. So you can recreate physical experiences that give you relief and get much of the same relief that you get without and without drugs that get you addicted and can kill you an overdose. And would that, um, thinking about that lady and obviously many others who have pain, will the pain relieve just during the hypnotized experience or will there be lasting effects afterwards? No, there are lasting effects. We did a randomized trial, Angela. I was treating women with metastatic breast cancer. They would come to a, a weekly support group where they would deal with their anger, uh, fear, and sadness. They would form connections with one another. They would learn from one another about how to better cope with the illness. They could see in the woman across the room something that was true about them, but they couldn't see it for themselves. They could admire one another. And we taught them to, to use self-hypnosis to control pain. Pain, most women, a lot of women with metastatic disease, breast cancer, have pain. And to them, it's terrifying because it's, they think it's a signal that the tumor is metastasizing and I'm going to die sooner. So that makes the pain worse. And instead, I would teach them to imagine a sense of warmer, cool, tingling numbness filter the hurt out of the pain. So when they had pain, they would just go into self and they say, oh, I know what this is. I can control this. And just the fact that you can modulate it, it makes it seem not so bad, right? When you mm. hurt yourself, you see if you can actually move your hand. And if you can, you're reassured. So at the end of a year, randomized controlled trial, half the women get these groups, half had standard care. Um, they had half the pain the control group did on the same and very low amounts of medication. 
So it works over the long term as well because it's a skill that you acquire. And that's what you can do using Reverie. You can just log in anytime you want um, and practice self-hypnosis with my guidance or just learn it well enough that you can just do it on your own. But it's a low-cost, no-risk uh, way to manage problems like pain and stress and insomnia too. Amazing. And what about like um, some of the other mental health issues like depression and anxiety? Can it help with those? Uh, it can be very helpful uh, for anxiety in particular. You can use that stress management approach. Um, we have uh, people who uh, deal with phobias, for example, like uh, there was a woman who had a terrible dog phobia and she was married to a very wealthy guy and they were at a, having a fancy dinner with a bunch of friends at a hotel and somebody brought a cute little French poodle into the room and she screamed and stood up and knocked the table all over everybody food wine everything and her husband said you're getting fixed or we're done you know so she came in and she learned she used to plan her walks she was in manhattan when she thought there'd be fewer people walking dogs it was that bad for her uh and find a time like that in midtown manhattan um and she uh but she learned to think that a dog could be a friend some dogs were dangerous some animals are dangerous but there are dogs who could be a friend he said so she was taught to find a um, uh, a friend who had a dog who wouldn't play a trick on her. You tell him to hold the dog, and you get to the point where you can pet the dog. And think of the dog as a friend. So she finally did that. And um, about uh, six months later, we called to find out what had happened to her. And a little boy answers the phone, and um, he, we say, is your mommy there? And uh, he said, well, yeah, who's calling? And I said, Dr. Spiegel. And there was a pause, and the boy said, that's funny. Spiegel's in heat. So she had gotten herself a dog and named it Spiegel um, and was doing fine. So you can learn to deal with the things you're afraid of, the things that make you anxious. I have people with flying phobias who contact me from around the world, you know, more than half of them after one session can fly you know they they can control their distress while they're in the plane and think of the plane as an extension of their body that's the positive affirmation that we teach them uh, to deal with fear of flying depression is more complicated because for some kinds of depression it's sadness it can involve grief you can you can grieve things that you've lost in hypnosis and and control your physical reaction and put it into a different perspective in our breast cancer group, women would grieve somebody who died in the group, but at the same time, remember what that person had left with them, the things she'd said and done that made you feel better. And you still had that even though you lost her. So it was a way of grieving. Now, some people are sufficiently depressed that they need other kinds of help. I'm a psychiatrist. I use antidepressant medication with patients. Sometimes you need that. It's worrisome if people are thinking of harming themselves. They need immediate help if that's the case but there are some kinds of depression and sadness that hypnosis can help with also hmm, interesting and what about people who are stuck right and i think this is a really common thing that people can get stuck in any area of their life but particularly for example if it's related to trauma and there's a sense of unworthiness sometimes they can be stuck where 
they always struggle, right? They can't, if they, if they've lost weight, they can't keep it off. They can't hold on to that experience and sort of step into that new version of them or people who they may, they may feel that they can never make money or if they do, they're sort of spending it as fast as it's coming. So they kind of like keep, they, they live their life. It's almost like going back to groundhog days on repeat. Can they use uh, hypnosis to get unstuck? That's exactly right. So one of the things that we know happens in the brain when you're hypnotized is that you disconnect. The more you're engaged in the hypnosis, the more you're turning off the default mode network in the back of the brain. That is the part where we process who we are, what we're, what we think of ourselves, what other people think of or what of us, what, what we expect of ourselves. Uh, you can disengage that part of the brain. That happens sometimes in, in with meditation too, but in a different way. Uh, and, um, so you can just, that's part of the cognitive flexibility in hypnosis. You can just turn down that voice that says, this is what is expected of you. This is what you should do mm. and try out being different, you know, try out, for example, not having to prove how much money you have by spending all the money you have, but rather just seeing it as a means to an end and something you can use in a way to make your life better. So, um, hypnosis can be very helpful in and sort of reprogramming yourself and trying out being a different you. Uh, and and so it, it can be very helpful with that. And we have exercises done wherever you have with it. Amazing. And what about um, breath work? Uh, yes. is, is, how, how does that sort of play a part in this process? Well, breath work is rather interesting. You know, the... <laughs> We used to think that the way to relax yourself is to, you know, take a deep breath. Um, you know, that's what everybody says. It turns out, actually, that the part of the breathing cycle that helps you the most is actually the exhalation rather than the inhalation. And I'll explain why. But um, breathing is really interesting because it's the one physical function that is right at the edge between consciousness and unconsciousness. So our, our gastrointestinal system just kind of works. Our heart goes the way it goes. But breathing, if you don't think about it, as we haven't been thinking about it while we've been talking, it just happens. You know, our, we do it automatically. It's in the, the control center is in the medulla, right at the top of the spinal cord where it connects with the brain. And the, it can just work by itself. However, we can easily Take a deep breath, hold it, let the breath out slowly. So I'll show you one breathing exercise that actually helps trigger the soothing parasympathetic autonomic nervous system. It's the one that helps you to rest and digest rather than the uh, the arousing one, the fight or flee sympathetic nervous system. So here's, here's what you do if you want to try it. So just okay. inhale starting with your belly and through your nose. Now hold. Now expand your chest all the way, and then slowly exhale through your mouth. Slowly exhale. Good. Now again, diaphragmatic inhale with your belly. Expand your belly through your nose. Hold. Now expand your chest fully. Slowly exhale through your mouth. One more time, push out your belly, inhale through your nose, hold, 
Fill your lungs completely and slowly exhale through your mouth. How are you feeling? Yeah, very relaxed. Yeah. Very relaxed. It's quite interesting because I actually have a, a continuous HRV monitor on that I'm taking assessments with. Oh, and, really? Uh, yes. Yeah, I just, uh, and I like to do it with clients, and it's very interesting. So I was going to ask you, like, have you seen improvements in heart rate variability using um, hypnosis? I've seen it with breathwork. Yes, we're, we're, so far we have not been able to demonstrate that. We're, we're using whoop straps now. I think you uh, interviewed a yeah, woman. Yeah, I have a whoop strap. I also have something else on here, just taking an assessment now, called a first beat device. Uh-huh. So the whoop straps will help you determine your heart rate variability. It is largely controlled by the parasympathetic nervous system, not the sympathetic nervous system. Mm. So the variability is introduced, and heart rate variability is very good for stress management. Um, people who have serious heart problems do better if they have more heart rate variability. Um, and we, what we have been able to show is just doing this cyclic sign that we were doing five minutes a day for a month uh, reduces your average respiratory rate. And that's a big deal. And I don't mean just, you know, it's with measured with the whoop strap. So it's, it's, um, it's over the 24 hour cycle. And in general, uh, we breathe too rapidly. You know, mm. you should breathe 11 or 12, uh, t it's five or six times a minute. We tend to breathe 11 or 12 times, twice as often as we should. And that shallow rapid breathing is not relaxing and it doesn't, uh, oxygenate, oxygenate you as well as it should. So taking a few moments every once in a while to just inhale fairly quickly and slowly exhale puts downward pressure on the heart rate because when you're exhaling, you're returning more blood to the heart. The heart gets a signal that it doesn't need to beat as fast to get enough blood circulating. So it's the slow exhale that actually triggers the parasympathetic nervous system and helps you breathe more comfortably and slowly and better so and that, uh, that breath work yeah. that you just did involved that yeah. when i feel so i filled my belly first and then yeah. my chest that was that second inhale right that andrew Huben that, that was the second about. inhale that's to make sure that you fully uh, fill your lungs but so that you can then slowly exhale and the diaphragmatic breathe we often breathe do more chest breathing diaphragmatic breathing singers opera singers actors uh, will learn to do diaphragmatic breathing so that you can fully, using your diaphragm, expand, uh, expand the lower part of your uh, respiratory cavity and then complete it by expanding your chest. So you fully inhaled and then you can slowly exhale. And you were mentioning that with WHOOP. What have you seen? How many times, how often should be people be doing this and for how long? Well, to, to see in, those in one study we did, uh, we and we used whoop straps to study it, that we um, just asked them to do it for five minutes a day. And we have, by the way, two kinds of breath work on the Reverie app. We have uh, the cyclic sighing that we were just doing together and also box breathing, uh, which is used. It's a little more arousing. So you you figure out how long you can hold your breath and then you inhale for, say, four seconds, hold for four seconds, exhale for four seconds, hold for four seconds. And it's been called tactical breathing. Navy SEALs use it to kind of get ready to do something they have to do. So it's more arousing. But we have both of those kinds of breath work on the Reverie app also. Hmm. 
Yeah, interesting. I do that. And the the cyclical sigh that you described there, this is what happens when we cry, right? When we, if someone's sort of sobbing, they take that extra breath. But also I notice they, um, they animals do it. I see my, my Labrador does it. Really? He kind of, yeah, he sort of goes, and then he'll go, and he'll kind of sort of go floppy. It's yeah. quite interesting. Sure. Well, sighing conveys acceptance. You know, we do, we do, our, we're programmed to sigh periodically. Uh, and when people are in artificial respiration, the respirators are programmed to sigh as well. So this long, slow exhale is an important part of the natural respiratory cycle. But, you know, one other time when we do it naturally is singing. Because what do you right. do? You inhale a deep breath. And then you slowly exhale as you're singing the song. And there are so many social and religious rituals that involve singing, and you usually feel better. And in essence, when you're singing, you're doing cyclic song. Mm, interesting. And um, just sort of lastly, to circle back, you were talking at the beginning, I was quite interested in this, around the dopamine um, and the yes. level of dopamine like and um, how that affects uh, hypnotizability, for want of a better word. Can you explain a little bit more about that? Well, dopamine is one of the major neurotransmitters uh, in the brain, particularly in the middle and front part of the brain. And in, in the mesolimbic area, at the base of the brain, it's, it's the, the feel-good neurotransmitter. You know, when you get reward for something, um, you, tend, you get a dopamine rush and feel better. Um, it's a part of the brain that is also involved in our arousal systems. Uh, and so it's a crucial part. We find that hypnotizability is associated with higher levels of dopamine and dopamine metabolism in the brain. Um, the other thing that happens in hypnosis is that when you go into a hypnotic state, you turn down activity in a dopamine-rich region called the salience network, the anterior cingulate cortex in the front middle part of the brain. And that's part of our alarm system. And so what you can do is regulate activity there and turn it down. When you go into a state of hypnosis, you're turning off the alarm system and just saying, let me just focus on what I'm focusing on. I'm not going to allow myself to worry about much else. So it's a natural state of relaxation. And there's another neurotransmitter in the anterior cingulate uh, called GABA, gamma-aminobutyric acid. It's an inhibitory neurotransmitter. And we people who are more hypnotizable have more of that transmitter in their dorsal anterior cingulate. So they have their own little hypnopharmacy um, where they can secrete inhibitory neurotransmitters and allow their brain and their body to just tone down and relax so you can concentrate more intently. And we, uh, as, as our uh, answer to Big Pharma, we have a hypnopharmacy component to the, to the Reverie app where we, we ask a series of questions about what your problems are, and then you'll get a prescription. And the prescription is one or more of the programs that we have uh, in Reverie. So we're, we're trying to sort of do it our way and help people uh, help themselves. That's super cool. And are there any other ones? Like, you know, when you look at um, Mihai Csikszent Mihai's work, things like anandamide and oxytocin and adrenaline and noradrenaline, are any of these are sort of important in terms of um, hypnosis? Well, uh, as far as we know, the major neurotransmitters uh, are GABA and, and, uh, and dopamine. Um, oxytocin is a social connection gene, and there are some studies that suggest that people who are more highly hypnotizable may secrete more oxytocin. It's, it's a hormone that makes you feel connected with, with other people, 
uh, open to them for all kinds of reasons. So we think oxytocin may be another hormone that is related to the ability to experience hypnosis. Interesting. I recently did, uh, Andrew Huberman had done a podcast where you could assess your levels of dopamine within the brain by remembering, I think he had five uh, phrases, all of which were very different. And you had to try and hold in your mind the last word of each sentence. And if you were able to remember a certain number or a high number, not even necessarily that high, then you had more uh, dopamine levels. And, and I scored really huh. highly on it, which would be consistent you with what you're saying, right? And being I'm sure highly hypnotizable. It's quite I was interesting. On I was on Andrew's show. I had a great time with him. And there's a YouTube video that took, because one of the cool things about hypnosis is just the element of surprise. You can surprise yourself. So I was measuring Andrew's hypnotizability. And here's this big, tough, prodigiously smart guy. And mm. he's looking at his hand floating in the air because the hand just wanted to be up in the air. Like, what the hell is going on here? You know, and he's very interested in hypnosis. He's very sympathetic with it. He's been involved with reverie. And, and yet he was surprised that he could produce that kind of change and see his hand as somehow independent from him. And that's the, the sort of surprise and remarkable ability people have using hypnosis to change their brain-body relationship. I remember seeing that, uh, something like that, when my, you know, uh, when my, my children were really young, my eldest son observing him on the camera lying in his cot, and all he was doing was putting his hands in the air and watching his hands yes. and moving them. That's yeah. great. It's lovely. It's lovely to watch children explore things like that. And, and the, the idea that you can sort of be reconceptualizing your relationship to your body as he was doing. He was learning about his body and how he interacted with it. And that's a wonderful thing. And it's, it, it's something that people can and do explore uh, in hypnosis. Yeah, really interesting. So to kind of, I guess, sort of round up before we link to where people can find out more, what would be your, I suppose, for want of a better word, a kind of prescription for people in terms of how much time should they set aside? Should this be a morning activity in the evening? Or I know Andrew Human talks about like NSDR, for example, in the afternoon. What are your thoughts on your research right. around that? Um, we think that if, particularly at the beginning, as you're getting used to it and doing it, it's good to pick uh, uh, at least once, but hopefully maybe three times during the day and pick a time when you know you'll have a few moments of peace and quiet and you can do it so often in the morning when you wake up, even when you're lying in bed before you get up. Do a quick self-hypnosis exercise. Do it in the middle of the day when you're feeling kind of tired or stressed to kind of recalibrate. Review what you've done, plan what you want to do, get your body floating and comfortable. And then it can be very helpful going to sleep. You just, if you're still having obsessional thoughts about things you're worried about, get your body floating and project them onto an imaginary screen. And people find, uh, we, you know, we try to do pre post ratings. People report significant reductions in their stress and pain. The problem with getting their evaluations of going to sleep is that they just go to sleep, they don't give us the follow ups. Sort of how sleep mm. and feeling. But uh, so pick times of the day when you can do it and make it a regular practice. It doesn't have to be that long. It can be a couple of minutes uh, to just kind of recalibrate and, and go from there. So we think that's very helpful to make it a regular brief practice throughout the day. 
What kind of brainwave state are you in when when it's occurring? Is it like alpha uh, or theta? Or? Uh, no, it's more theta. It's more left frontal theta in particular. It seems to be associated with more hypnotizability. So it's a state of resting alertness. It's not high arousal, but it's not alpha, which tends to be, you know, when your eyes are closed, you go into alpha, but you're not necessarily doing much. Mm. Um, so it's more theta. And when you looked at the research you've done with WHOOP, did you see improvements? You mentioned breathing rate. Have you seen any improvements in levels of deep sleep or REM sleep? Uh, we saw, um, we didn't see changes that we could associate, but the study, first study we did was with breath work and not with hypnosis. We're just planning now a new study to see with, with using the WHOOP strap and see what happens with hypnosis. So uh, I look forward to being able to tell you about it, but I don't know yet. I'm excited to hear. I had uh, Kristen Holmes on the show as well. And uh, that was, uh -huh. yeah, really interesting. Love Kristen. So, yeah, amazing. Well, where can people find out more? Um, uh, so the, the app is on the App Store, but please, please share. The app, if you have an iOS phone, it's on the App Store. If you have an Android, it's on Google Play. Uh, you can also go to www.reverie.com to get a lot of background information and also to be able to log in and download um, uh, the the app um and so try it try it you'll like it. give it a try the first week is free we'll give you a free test of your hypnotizability uh and you can try it out and see see if you like it amazing and where's the best way of staying up to date with your research is it through the app or is it on your website uh, the or? App, we post we post things that are new i have a new article uh, just out in Neuron on hypnotizability, digital dissemination of hypnosis. I call it transformation with a C. Um, and uh, we will we list the articles and their availability uh, on, on the website. We have a new article in Nature Mental Health showing that we could use transcranial magnetic stimulation to enhance hypnotizability. So we're trying to find ways to stimulate the dorsolateral prefrontal cortex and suppress activity in the dorsal anterior cingulate that at least briefly enhances hypnotizability. So we're studying other ways of making more people more hypnotizable. Amazing. Thank you so much for sharing all that. It's been super fun. I'm excited to kind of dive in some more myself and, and try Good. these out. Thank you very much for coming on the show. You're most welcome. And uh, you sound like an excellent hypnotic candidate, so I hope you enjoy it and make the, the most use of it. I'll just be careful what I listen to. <laughs> <laughs> you better, that's right. But listening yeah, exactly. to me was a good idea. I listening to you know. was a good idea. I'll just keep play this on repeat. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Thank you very much. You're most welcome. Thank you. I hope today's episode inspired you on your journey to vibrant health and high performance. Make sure you check out the show notes for a summary of all the important links to everything we talked about. And if you enjoyed this episode, hit the follow button and share it with a friend on social media or leave a review over on Apple Podcasts. Remember, achieving high performance health is about getting 1% better each day. So think about one thing you learned from today's episode and start implementing it today. Share with me what you've learned on social media over at Angela S. Foster. I love hearing from you and connecting with you. Have a beautiful day and always remember you are worthy of your dreams. Mm -hmm.